That's me, nigga. You are now rocking with the super califragilistic dope shit. Your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast, featuring on the verge artists, established influencers, and people from all walks of life doing dope shit. With your host Emiliano Style. Welcome, welcome, y'all, to another episode of Super Califragilistic dope shit. Well, we got a, a special guest today, Eric Berry, and uh, we're gonna get it going. Just brief introduction about Eric Berry. He is a photographer. He is a voiceover artist. <laughs> I say that because he got that that voice. He's Eric Berry. That's funny. Um, director. Did he say do that? a lot of different things. Yeah, not all of them well, but I certainly will attempt. To what would you say when someone says? The famous question, what what do you do? What would you say? A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. It's an honest answer. Yeah, it is. Because I do. I mean, I love to shoot, as you know, photography. I love to write, uh, editing, directing. But I feel like everyone, that's everyone, right? We live in LA, we live in Hollywood, and that's, you know, those are... It's everyone, but... Those are skills that everyone says that they have and that they do. Uh, I'm certainly no different than them. Yeah. What we're gonna do is the first thing I do is I do this rapid fire segment. And by the way, just hello everybody. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't actually addressed people listening, so what's up? And thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate the opportunity to to rap with you about. Uh, I can't say the show name correctly. <laughs> I'm just gonna botch it, but wrap me on your show, man. Yeah, man. You could say super dope shit for super sure. dope shit for sure. Super dope shit. That's All right. Easy. Yeah, that's easy. I have this rapid fire segment and I'm going to ask you to choose between two different things and give me no explanation. Okay. Just tell me which one you prefer okay. at that moment. Right. No explanations whatsoever. Okay. I got it. I got it. All right. You ready? Yep. All right. Martin or Malcolm? Malcolm. Rihanna or Beyonce? Rihanna. Creation or evolution? Creation. Android or Apple? Apple. Brutal honesty or white lies? Um, White lies. The Neptunes or Timberland? Neptunes. Clippers or the Lakers? Clippers. All day. Career or family? Family. Pac or Biggie? Pac. J. Cole or Kendrick? Kendrick. Steven Spielberg or George Lucas? That's a wash, right? It's the same person. Uh, I think Steven. (laughs) Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon? I like him. Jimmy Kimmel. Matinee show or night show? Night show. Nike or Adidas? Adidas. Japan or China? China. New Orleans or Chicago? Chicago. Tyler Perry or Lee Daniels? Neither. (laughs) (laughs) Lee Daniels. Joker, Joker, Deuce, Ace or Jack, Queen, King, Ace? Jack, Queen, King, Ace. HBO or Showtime? HBO. The Wire or Breaking Bad? The Wire. Autumn or Summer? Autumn. All right. So that's it. That's, right. that's, the rapid, it that's the rapid fire segment. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. So basically what I do now is just uh, give people who listen for the first time a little insight about this podcast is basically my goal is to try to 
the people who listen, I want them to feel like they just caught up with an old friend, even yeah, though they yeah. never may have never met you before. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I want to get that vibe because I feel like in this day and age, it's like so many people are at different levels in our career and different career moves and um, different states. So it's cool to just get some insight of where you are now and where you're going and where you want to go and all these things. Absolutely. And I'm sure you have it's like uh, a time capsule. Yeah, it's sort of like that. That's 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 exactly what I want. That's exactly what I want. So the first question: What's the dopest thing that you've ever done to this point? Are you, are you speaking of like one particular event or just? It's it's up to you. Like it's, like a, it's like an ink block question. Well, I, th- I think the dopest thing that I've been able to do as an adult um, is being able to travel and maintain a career. I feel like with a lot of us, we kind of have to make that sacrifice. Either we're going to travel and make travel our career, which may not be the most lucrative thing in the world to do, or we're going to work all the time and then, you know, travel when we can a week here or a week there. Um, I've been very fortunate to, to have had employers who've given me a lot of freedom in terms of vacation and sabbatical and taking time off to travel and do the things that I'm passionate about. Um, and I think those experiences have uh, helped make me a better employee and businessman, I think. So I think being able to travel and maintain a career is probably the dopest thing I've been able to do. Okay. Now, do you have a, a person, do you have a mentor? I mean, yeah, I've, I've had the same mentor for about 15 years. His name is uh, Kevin Frazier. He's the host of Entertainment Tonight. And I first met Kevin in high school, and I was the chief editor of our school newspaper. Wow, that long ago? That long ago. Wow. Yeah, I think I was a junior in high school. And he wanted to start a media program at our high school. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, he caught wind of our newspaper, came to the class one day, talked to me for a bit, asked me if I would take his class my senior year. I said, sure, whatever, man, I'll take your class. And this is here? In LA, yeah, yeah right. In LA, at Dorsey, Susan Miller, Dorsey High. So I took that class with Kevin um, the next year and Mr. Talk, uh, rest in peace. And I learned a lot about news and media and writing stories and how to shoot and how to edit video. And so when I went to college, I, I kind of kept the relationship with Kevin, um, who at that time had moved to Bristol, Connecticut to work for Sports Center. He was an anchor at Sports Center. Um, and throughout college, you know, I would try to go up and visit him every now and then, go up to Sports Center and see what, what was going on there. And I kept that rapport throughout college. And after I graduated, my first job was as his assistant at Entertainment Tonight. Um, and I worked there for about a year, left to go do news for a bit, worked for Dr. Phil for a little bit. And then uh, about three years ago, uh, four years ago at the inauguration, um, at Obama's last inauguration, Kevin and I met up again, and he convinced me to move back to L.A. and to help him run his production company. So that's where I've been for the past four years. Got it. Got it. Wow. That's a, yeah, I mean, that's I didn't know a y'all long story. Far. Yeah, I didn't know <laughs> y'all went that far back. That's what's up. Yeah, we go That's back. really dope. That's really dope. All right, then. Um, so you you grew up in L.A.? Grew up in L.A. Um, South Central. South Central. Yes. Now, how was, how was growing up in South Central? Did you have uh, siblings and all that? I mean, I, I mainly grew up with my cousins. I do have a little sister, but she came into the picture much later in life for me. Mm-hmm. So I grew up around my cousins and we were all kind of like brothers and sisters because we were so close. Mm-hmm. But I did grow up in like, the, you know, the height of the, you know, Bloods and Crips and the crack epidemic. Which one are you? 
I mean, I would, my family is probably more so than anything. But I would say they're more aligned with, with the Crips. <laughs> Me okay. personally, I don't gangbang. Um, Anymore? Or? No, never, 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 <laughs> never. I never really got into that. Okay. I was quite fortunate because my um, my uncles and stuff were, you know, they were OGs and they were like well-established in our neighborhood. So I never was never had the, the issue of having to join a gang. I was always kind of protected and shielded from that mm-hmm. because the people who, you know, were my mentors and role models at that point in my life or people who steered me clear of getting into that mm-hmm. that life which is I, pr- I probably would have never gotten into it anyways I, I you know I, I never really saw the point of it but if I did have that lapse they would have made sure to keep me out of it so the devil more had a the mind frame of like I'm doing this but you don't do it hey yeah man I was around like you know dudes who were you know Opening up, cutting keys open, and you know, cooking, cooking crack in the kitchen, mixing it with baking soda. Like I've, I've been around a lot. I've seen a lot, and I've had a lot of family who's uh, been addicted to drugs and crack and alcohol. So I've seen a lot of different things and been around a lot of different things, man. But it just it's never something I was ever really drawn to. Um, and as I said before, again, like even if I for one moment I ever had any fantasy of, <laughs> of getting into that life, I probably would have got my ass whipped pretty good. So it, it was never even an option for me. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, you went to, you said Downey High School. Dorsey. Dorsey High School. Excuse yeah, me. That's all good. So um, how was that? Were, I know you were involved in media back then because you met Kevin Frazier. Yeah, man, Dorsey, Dorsey is an interesting place, man, because it's right. It sits, it sits on the border of the Jays, the jungles. And oh. just, uh, I guess, north of that would be like the West Boulevard Crip area. So you kind of had this weird mix where you had like Crips and Bloods going to the same school. You had a lot of Latinos there. And my buddy Elise was on the couch playing video games right now. He went to Dorsey with me, too. Oh, OK. Um, so you had like this weird mix. And then in the midst of that, you had, you know, some really, really intelligent kids, like kids who were like, you know, getting into Berkeley and Penn and stuff like that. Um, so it was just, it was just this weird crucible of, of crazy, crazy and intellectual and creative and gangster. So it's, it's a, a really, really odd mix. Man. Yeah, that's an interesting mix. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I found my time there to be a very mixed experience um, because socially I was very successful. It's like, you know, one class president, editor of the paper ah, and okay. all that sort of stuff. But academically... I was like, you know, 1.8, 2.2. What? Yeah, I was. it was one semester where I got all Fs. So I was a really, really bad student. But you were class president. But I was class president. I was, you know, it, I think by the time I got to my junior and senior year, I kind of got my act together academically. But I, I certainly struggled with my freshman and sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's interesting that you say that because I feel like the advice I was given in school, it was like start off strong. Yeah. yeah, it was always like the exactly. thing. Then you could slack off later, but it seems like you did the that. I did the opposite, and yeah. it was you know I'm fortunate now that I went to Howard University. Um, yeah, I'm, I was getting to that. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I almost, I almost get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. All good. So, what made you choose Howard, not USC or UCLA? Howard's the only school that let me in. <laughs> <laughs> no shade to Howard, but that's that's the only school that let me in. It wasn't my it wasn't my first choice. Yeah, what, what was your first choice? Uh, American University, which was also in D.C. 
Oh. I was really into politics. I still am very, very much into politics. Like I watch CNN religiously. I'm always reading the Daily Beast, Huffington Post, CNN, uh, and, you know, in the car ride to work and stuff like that, Uber rides to work. So I'm, I'm a very political animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't get into American. Um, so I went to Howard instead. And I, I got into Howard. I was in a, a, a program in high school called Close Up, which was like a political program where you, students, they fly to D.C. for a week and you go to the White House and you visit your congressman or congresswoman, you know, at the, uh, the U.S. Capitol and stuff like that. Um, so I did that my junior and senior year. And in my senior year, I hadn't heard back from Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, maybe two months after I had sent my application off or maybe three months after I sent my application off. So on our free day, I decided I was going to go to Howard and go to the admissions office and try to figure out why I hadn't been accepted or if I, you know, mm-hmm. if I had been accepted. So I get there and uh, there's a woman, Lindsay Sander Hawkins, who I hope is still there. And I go into her office and I sit down with her and she's like, well, look, you don't really have the grades to get into Howard. So tell me why I should let you into Howard. And so her and I had like about 30, 45 minute conversation. And I walked out of that conversation, no joke, with an admissions letter to Howard University. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what did you- I graduated graduated with honors. You know, I I told her if you let me in, I would definitely be be the best student I can be and put forth my best effort every day. And she rolled the dice on me and I delivered, so. So what did you say to her? How did you convince her? Man, I just said, look, you know, I'll be honest. I didn't put forth my best foot in high school. joked around a lot in freshman and sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you look at all the extracurriculars, you can see I'm a person who really wants to do a lot of things, a lot of positive things. Yeah, well-rounded. Yeah, I'm a well-rounded individual. I just didn't apply myself academically. And I think if you look at my junior and, and senior grades, you can see that there's been a change and a shift mm-hmm. um, academically. So I would like to continue that trend at Howard University. And she she's let me in, man. And that was kind of the beginning. That's what's up. That's a great story. Yeah, it's pretty crazy when I, when I think about it, man. It's not a story a lot of people know about, but that's the the only way I got into Howard U. Otherwise, I would have probably gone to, to Cal State LA, which is nothing wrong with Cal State LA, but that was like my backup plan. Got it. Yeah. All right. So how how was that adjusting to the cold weather in the East Coast type of I loved it, vibe? Man. Okay. I loved it. I mean, I love I love different environments and climates and, you know, seeing the seasons change, that sort of stuff. It was awesome for me. Okay. Now, how would you define your passion or your profession? I know we kind of touched on it a little bit before, but... I mean, my, my passion is photography and it's exploration of cultures. Okay. Um, I went to Howard. I studied film. But something people don't know about me is that I also studied anthropology. And my second degree is in anthropology um, with the emphasis on archaeology. So I've always had this fascination with like different cultures and different people and traveling and, you know, living this like pseudo Indiana Jones experience. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's that's my real passion. And I think it stems from just being a kid and watching Indiana Jones and looking at National Geographic and seeing these cool places. And then getting older and realizing that you could actually go to these places and these people were real and you could, you know, meet people and you can see, you know, the ruins of places like Machu Picchu and Chichen Itza. And so that's always inspired me to want to do more and see more and in turn inspire other people who may have doubted 
you know, that they could go out and do those things. People who might come from similar backgrounds that I do, who thought that those sites and adventures were out of reach for them. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to say, no, look, I'm a kid from South Central, you know, who grew up in a single parent home and I was able to go here, you know, and I don't have Jay-Z pockets. Okay. Right. I was able to go here. I was able to do this and see this and have this experience. You can too. Okay. That's dope. So basically the, the deciding factor or the motivation came from being exposed to National Geographic and Indiana Jones? Absolutely. I was doing an interview the other day and, and this, this same topic came up. Um, and I can't remember sitting in like world history class in second grade or third grade or something like that at Virginia Real Elementary School. I think the teacher's name was Mrs. Smith. And, you know, we would get these Nat Geos and these history books and we would read through them and you would learn about like the Inca and the Maya and you know, the, the, uh, the Romans and uh, the ancient Egyptians and all these different cultures. Um, and I just thought it was like so cool and so fascinating. And then around that same time, you know, being an 80s baby coming up, you know, in the, in the era of Indiana Jones, and you know, I was really big right. and seeing those movies and seeing like, you know, these places are like real or, you know, real in the sense that I can see it on an actual movie screen. You know, being six or seven, you don't really realize that you're watching like, you know, a stage or something. Right. Um, but just having this complete draw, like this internal, like metaphysical sort of draw to these places and these, these uh, ancient civilizations and cultures and stuff. And yeah, when I got to Howard, I uh, realized there was an archeology span class for freshmen and sophomores. So I'd signed up for it and that kind of started me on the track of traveling. Got it. So let's, and that's funny too, you talk about Howard, like, cause how I met Eric was through some friends that I know from Howard, uh, Jason Hightower, yeah, Jason, that's uh, Quan. Yeah. Um, too. Yeah. So it was like, and it was funny too, uh, a few weeks ago, I was at this event and you know, Brandon Young too. Oh, no, I'm not sure. But anyways, he uh, met me at the bar, and he knows me through Jermaine Small, whatever. Okay. And uh, so he went to Howard, and he was like, yeah, I mean, this is so-and-so. He went to Howard. He went to Howard. He went to Howard. Yeah, I mean, what, what year were you? I was like, yo, I didn't go to Howard. <laughs> I was like, Howard didn't yeah, have that privilege. But I feel like, I feel like, I, I do feel like I knew you. Although I know I don't know you from Howard. Right. I do when I see him. Like, oh yeah, Millionaire from Howard. I'm like, no, he didn't go to Howard. Right, I right. To, yeah. I, I have I to work my way backwards to realize, yeah, I don't know you from Howard. Yeah, but it's all love. Like, you know, HU, man. I, yeah, you yeah. know, it's all love. So I want to get more into what were your uh, photography projects and like art shows and pr- different projects? But I just want to like segment it so we can get a, a general understanding of the project and then your motivation behind it or whatever. Yeah. But the first, the first, like I bought your Cuba book. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so tell me about, I'm never, that's terrible not, by the way. It's not the first one. That was the first book. That was the first. That's book. the first book and first show. And it, I mean, I've gone, I've, I've revisited that work as a book, and it's not the best work. And I was having a conversation with another photographer yet uh, on Sunday. He was like, "Yeah, man, I bought your book, and it just, it wasn't, you know, it was cool, but it wasn't all that." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Well, yeah, I, I shot that book seven years ago with an entry level digital camera. I had no fucking idea what I was doing." What what camera did you shoot? You remember? It was a Nikon, a Nikon D five thousand. Okay. 
So, I mean, it's maybe six, seven hundred dollar camera. I mm -hmm. had one lens or two lenses. Um, yeah, so it wasn't, and at that point, I was like, more, more is more. So, mm -hmm. it's just like a ton of photographs, right? Um, and all of them aren't the strongest. There was no curation or editorial process as far as my selection for that content. Um, and if you get on my website now, ericberry.photography, um, I've, I've gone and sort of revisited that Cuba work. Mm. and been really specific about the images that I chose to to publish or republish. And it's even so how I've chose to approach it in Lightroom with, uh, you know, various filters and grain and, you know, color temperature, stuff like that, mm -hmm. to sort of give it all a cohesive aesthetic that was certainly missing from the, the earlier edition. Got it. Okay, so I know we... Uh we talked about this before on a unreleased video for a certain <laughs> travel platform. No, yeah, I, will, I, will, I have no, I'm one of the types who has no issue just saying crazy shit. So don't, yeah, don't bring up anything unless you want me to just. They, they will remain nameless, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I did yeah. really enjoy that that uh, whole uh, Cuba story that you told. Because when you went to Cuba, it's like now it's like everyone's going to. Cuba. Everyone's in Cuba now. It's wide open. Yeah, and. Um, I just want to, you know, tell me of like your process of phot uh, photographing these individuals you saw in Cuba and how you got over there. Yeah, 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 no problem. Man. What seven years ago? Eight seven, years ago? Yeah, six or seven years ago. Okay. I um, okay. So again, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I was I was dating a um, a girl who was like Latin and black mm -hmm. around that time. Uh, she was Puerto Rican and black. Um, and her thing was always going to Cuba. And so we listened to a lot of Cuban music and ate Cuban food and stuff like this. Um, and then, you know, she was a bit shady at times. And so we broke up and I was like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to go to Cuba. Okay. So it was really just like a fuck you to her. So I booked this ticket. It was a revenge travel. It was, it was a revenge travel. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It was a revenge travel, man. So I, I booked this flight to Cancun. Mm -hmm. Um, no flight to Cuba. I booked the flight to Cancun, landed in Cancun, and uh, went to the, maybe it was Aeromexico, Aeromexico, I, I forget which airline it was, but I went to their desk and said, hey, when's your next flight to Havana? I want to be on the plane. And we have a plane going out at seven or eight o'clock tonight. You have a habit of doing that. You did it at Howard, just going yeah, up to people I, asking them. I, I rolled the dice, man. I feel the universe will always work things out for you. If, if you put... For the first footstep, they'll take care of the rest. I really do believe that. All right, okay, my bad. Continue. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I uh, you know, they tell me there's a flight leaving at eight o'clock. I booked the ticket with them. I pay in cash because you don't want receipts, you know, for the U.S. government to track to see oh where are you going, why did you buy a ticket, and you know, at this, you know, at right. this, uh, from this air company to go to this place. So I pay cash for the ticket. Um, I get on the plane. While I'm on the plane, I'm seated next to these two American men, mm -hmm. older guys, white guys. And, you know, we're talking, you know, kind of getting along and laughing and stuff on the plane. And we land and, you know, they're like, hey, you want to sort of a cab with us into, into the city? So I'm like, yeah, sure. We go through customs. Customs doesn't check, you know, our passports, doesn't stamp anything. Um, really? I mean, they don't, they, don't have, they don't stamp your passports. Because oh, okay. they know if, if an American goes back into Cuba, I mean, back back into America with a Cuban passport on their stamp, that they're in trouble. Mm. So when you land with an American passport, in those days, you could be like, hey, don't stamp my passport, please. 
and they wouldn't stamp it. Oh, okay. So yeah, we and we we get in and we you know spend the next three or four days together in Nevada, um, and I'm just. Where did you stay? You stayed with them. They had these things called Casa Particulares. Oh right, okay. So yeah, just like basically like a Airbnb, Airbnb before there was an Airbnb. Right, right. Um, so I was staying inside the homes of these uh, you know Cuban families, and for the first two or three days. But, I but stayed, how did you get that connect? Well, I'd landed without any connects. Right. Fortunately, those two, I had, I had a book, and a book had some recommendations of places to go in Havana. Okay, got it. To, you know, to stay. But fortunately for me, those two guys um, let me ride with them into Havana, to the house they were staying in. And when I went there, that woman had a neighbor who had a space available in her house. Got it. So got I stayed it. in that house. Um, we were together for about four days, and then we traveled to Vinales. Now, what no one tells you before you go to Cuba is that your ATM cards don't work there, right? And I think at that point, I was really a little runt, so I didn't have very much money in my account. I think I had maybe $1,000 total to my name. And the bank would only let me take out 400 cash. Mm. So I took out the $400 thinking, okay, when I get to Cuba, I can get more out. You can't uh, get more out once you get there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in Cuba and I'm learning really fast. I don't have enough money to last 17 days. Um, fortunately, I've, I met people along the way, which really speaks to like the spirit of, of people who travel and just good people in general. I met several people along the way. One is a girl named Charlene, who was a young British girl. And I explained to her my situation, told her, hey, look, I have money, but I just can't access it. She was like, you know what? I'm going to give you 500 bucks. What? And when you get back to Mexico, just transfer it to my account. And so she went to the bank and took the money out and gave it to me. And that really got me through. I think I had another 11 days ago on my trip, something like that. That money really got me through the rest of my trip. It, it was a it was a really bizarre trip, man. Even from a photography standpoint, you know, I'm a guy now. I'm going to Ethiopia in two days. If you look at my travel bag, I have about five batteries two chargers, external hard drive. When I went on that trip, I had one battery. I had one battery and the charger that you would use to charge that battery, I dropped the night before my flight and cracked. Mm. So I couldn't recharge the battery. So I had one digital camera battery for 17 days in Cuba, which you know, if you've been to Cuba before, you can go through a battery and one day take pictures. So I had to be really thoughtful on when I took my camera out Wow! and what I took pictures of while I was there because I knew I had to last 17 days and I knew I was going all over the country, not just to Havana, but to Trinidad and Vinales and uh, Santa Clara, these other towns. And I wanted to make sure I had some juice when I got to those towns to take pictures. Okay. Wow. That is... So when you was taking pictures, I like what you said. Well, what you told me before about approaching people to take pictures. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your approach when you take a picture, photos of people abroad. One thing that always bothers me is when I see ph photographers, in quotation marks, taking pictures of people and those people aren't aware of it. And they're kind of like cheating. They're like, you know, ducking behind a wall or, you know, they're like hoping they don't get, that they're not spotted and like snapping a picture. I think that's just so rude. And I think if someone did that to me here in downtown LA, I would be really offended and bothered by it. Um, 
And so I try to treat people with the same respect I would want to be treated with when I'm traveling, when I'm doing photography. And so I always ask the people that I think are photogenic or, or who I think are in a place that would make for a great photograph if I can take their picture. Um, and nine times out of 10, those people will say yes. And I think just by asking that question and showing some respect, you're going to get a much different photograph than the person who doesn't offer that amount of respect. Now, and different in the sense that if you look at my work, mm -hmm. they're very intimate pictures. Yeah. Like these are like close up pictures of people's faces. You know, they're looking right into the camera. Um, they're very honest portrayals of these people um, in a sense. And I think I'm able to get those intimate pictures because I established some sort of rapport with these people. And, you know, it could just be asking. It could just be sitting down and having a conversation for 10 minutes, you know, or buying a trinket or whatever it is, um, you know, trying to speak the language if you can speak it. Um, but just doing those things, I think it really does help build a rapport to allow you to get a better photograph. Okay. So to all you travelers out there, just ask first, guys. That's Just all you got to do. I mean, obviously, you know, there's some pictures like, you know, it's a beach and people are playing on the beach or, you know, kids are playing soccer. Yeah, you want you want that action in the photograph. Right, right. But I think if you want like a portrait of somebody, a travel portrait I'm talking about, right. speaking of, then you, you should always, you should always ask. Okay. And even if it's like a, even if it's not, and it's, it's, a, it's a scene where, you know, it's, someone cooking in a window or, you know, a kid kicking a soccer ball, playing basketball, even just telling that kid, hey, keep doing what you're doing. I want to take the pictures of you. I think this looks pretty cool. You know, just ignore me. Just doing that is still a little bit more respectful than just taking the picture and walking off. You know? Yeah. And do you uh, tell them like, oh, this is going to be on my blog. It's going to be on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I, I usually tell the people um, to give me their email address. If they have it, and I'll send them the pictures, um, or I'll put it on Instagram and tag them in it on Instagram. You know, I, I try to be respectful in that way. Okay, got it. Yeah. Now, there's another photo project where it was underwater. Yeah, Bob. Yeah. Can you tell yeah. me about that? What What inspired you to do that project? What inspired me to do that was a friend, Vanya, called me and said, "Hey, there's this place in Hollywood." Every month they have a rotating artist and they don't have anyone for September. Do you want to do something? And I said, sure. This is like maybe in July. Mm -hmm. um, so I said, yeah, you know, I'll come up with something. Sure, I'll do it. And so I'm a huge fan of this Iceland Icelandic band called Sigurdros. And so I was at an art gallery in Santa Monica with my wife and uh, a Sigur Rós song came on. And when I heard it, I just immediately envisioned water. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I went to, okay, someone's in the water, a woman's in the water. What is she doing in the water? She's, she's floating, she's drowning, she's, you know, wrapped up in something. And so I just, I kind of had these visual ideas and motifs in my head. And I was like, okay, well, I think that's what I want my show to be. I, I never shot underwater before, didn't have any experience with it, but I knew that's what I wanted the show to be, something underwater. I mean, and because this, this is a French venue and it has like a, a sexy, you know, nighttime feel, I just thought it would fit the mood well right. for that particular space. Um, and so I got together with, uh, I guess, two of my muses, I guess you, you could call them. 
Um, and I did a casting call for, I think, two other people. Um, and I, uh, another photographer of mine, Haga, recommended a girl who we thought would be good for it. And so over the course of two days, I rented an underwater rig from Sammy's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I rented a lens from Sammy's. And we were able to get into my boss's pool while he was out of town. He let us use the house. While his wife was out of town, not him, I should say. And yeah, it was just my wife was in it as well. Um, and we were just in the pool all day, mm. photographing them jumping in and out of the water, you know, letting all their air out of their lungs and sinking to the bottom, swimming across under, underneath from side to side, you know, just doing a lot of different things. And I think I took about 9,000 photographs in the course of 48 hours. Wow, uh, and you know, I got I got what I think are some really really beautiful strong images. Yeah, they're very very beautiful images, man. Yeah. Especially like seeing going to uh, the venue and seeing um, yeah. big. I was yeah. like, oh wow, this is really cool. Yeah, I've been I've been really really uh, fortunate too because I was at this gallery down the street, Gloria Design, and I don't know if you want to use this in the podcast or not, but I was at no, this, this place down the street, Gloria Design, and I've always had like a. a uh, inkling to go in there and just talk to the owner because I thought like she might buy with my work mm-hmm. and so last week I finally just bit the bullet and went inside and started talking to her a bit about like how she as a curator puts together her shows and what sort of work she looks for and how does you know how does the artist selection process work and so she asked to see some of my photography and I took her to my uh, my website ericberry.photography and immediately she was like I love this can we put it up so in uh, in July, I'm I'm re-showing some of the VOD stuff in that venue. Okay, very dope. Yeah. And then uh, I think the most recent project you're doing is with the dancers, right? Yeah, I've been shooting, which is so dope. Thanks, man. Thanks. It's, it's that project is a lot of a lot of fun for me because I I, I can't dance myself. Right. Sure you can. No, I can't dance. If I, you could talk, you could sing. I, if you could walk, you could dance. I can't sing. African proverb. I can't sing. I can't dance. And so, for me, watching someone who does something I can't do so exceptionally well, mm-hmm. it's, it's just it's such a beautiful experience for me. It's, it's a really peaceful experience for me. And the girl I've shot a lot for that show, Gina, she's so poetic and thoughtful in her movements. Um, and so just easy to shoot that I really, really have enjoyed this process of creating with her. And we've been going around downtown and shooting a lot of stuff for her doing like ballet, um, in urban environments. And I can say, Hey, go dance out in the middle of the street. <laughs> She's like, okay, sure. And she'll go out and dance in the middle of the street. And you know, her angles, the arches in her back and her legs and her feet, everything is just really, really well done. And, she pays great attention to detail, and I, I think when I shoot with her, she's always giving me 100%. Um, and I'm really bad with directing models. Really? So I, I really, most of the women that I do shoot that are in a lot of my shows, they're all dancers because they know what to do with their bodies. I don't have to tell them what to do. Like technically, artistically, like I know what I want, but always articulating that is not the easiest thing. Um, and so when you have when you have dancers who are long and lean and, and limber who can you know move around so graciously, um, it makes the job for me a lot easier. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really have to do as much directing with the model. 
you know, maybe directing the environment, things in the environment, but not having to direct the model uh, really makes my job a lot easier. Well, that's really cool, man, because I feel like looking at your photography, it's like, would you say that you like very personable and open to be able to garner such people, like even traveling, even with dancers, even with having people pose nude in the in water? Like, so what what do you think that well, how do you convince your subjects <laughs> to do these things? Uh, how do I this? Uh, I don't know. I think they trust me. I think the work, not to sound like a douche, but I think the work speaks for itself. I'm not trying to exploit anybody. I'm not trying to, you know, do anything that's like sexual and perverse. Um, I'm trying to create beautiful images and I'm not going into it with, with a dictator mentality. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is kind of what I want to do. Do you want to be a part of it? Okay. You want to be a part of it? Contribute, you know? Mm -hmm. I want it to be a collaborative piece of art. And so I think what you do see with some of the stuff in the underwater show and particularly the stuff we're shooting now in downtown LA is it's really a collaboration. And I think oftentimes the, the photographer is the person who's being highlighted, you know, because they're the one who took the picture. But without the model and without their efforts, you don't get that picture. Right. And so when I shoot with people, I'm always like, I want you to be in your own universe and to do whatever comes out naturally to you. Whatever it is, if it's if it's a, a pirouette, if it's a, I don't know, just a plie, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever it is, yeah. if that's what feels natural to you at that moment, then do it. Let me worry about capturing it. You just be you. You just do you. You just do you. I'll just do me and we'll create some shit together. And that's kind of, Sounds you know. Sounds like a great equation for success. I, I, I think it works, man. And obviously it takes rapport. You know, I think I've shot Gina now three or four times. I've shot this one garage. I worked with a lot, Eva Lee, probably 10, 15 times. So once you shoot with someone, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, uh, having a friend or, you know, having a, a girlfriend or a wife or, you know, a teacher, like you kind of, you know what to expect when you go into that situation mm -hmm. and you know that person's energy. And so you're able to adapt and coexist together in this really like beautiful, unique way. Yeah. Okay. And I may be over, over romanticizing this, but. Nah, it's, I mean it's really the easiest way I, I can explain it. Yeah, it's dope to uh, get insight about your process. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, how, how many countries have you been to so far? Have you stayed? Thirty-four, thirty-five. Okay. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I thought it would be more. Not to say that yeah, no, that's not a lot. <laughs> but no, no, no. But, I know what you mean. Uh, no, it's not. It's it's not a lot. But I mean, when you look at it in this sense, well, I've been to Belize six or seven times. Got it. Got it. You know, I've been to all. I've been to Mexico maybe ten times all over Mexico. I've been to Denmark five or six times. I've been to Sweden three times. I've been to Thailand two times. Cambodia two times. So while it's only thirty six countries, I've been to a lot of those countries multiple times. Got it. Got it. Makes um, sense. But. My most memorable travel experience. A lot of a lot of times it goes back to uh, hanging out with monks in Luang Prabang and Lao, um, because I I do believe deep down in my heart <laughs> that I was I was like a Buddhist scribe or monk in a past life. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, whenever I go back to that part of the world, there's this 
peace and calm in me that I don't really have anywhere else. Just like a complete. It's like you feel at home. I feel completely centered and at home. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's not. All, I'm, I've never felt at home in Los Angeles. I mean, I've never felt at home in in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, or in Indiana. But I would say the places where I have felt most at home spiritually are places in Southeast Asia and particularly Laos and Cambodia. And being in Laos, to get back to your question, I'm in Luang Prabang. There's like a huge concentration of these young men who, who come to this town to study Buddhism. So they're like these junior monks who are at these uh, temples and pagodas. And there's like there's like a temple every block almost. So you're just around monks all the time. You're around the spirituality all the time. And a lot of those young men who are, you know, anywhere from like five or six to like 17, they want to learn English and they're learning English. So if you walk on the grounds and again, if you're respectful and curious and you're open to asking questions and, you know, I'm trying to befriend these people and have some sort of cultural exchange with them and cultural dialogue with them. Um, they're pretty receptive to allowing you to hang out at the temple with them for an hour or two hours or to come back in the evening and meditate with them. Um, so a lot of my time in the Wong Prabang was photographing monks and then spending my evenings with them chanting and meditating. And for me, I think that trip really recentered me spiritually in a way that allowed me to open up my heart enough to actually get engaged and married, which happened in that following year. And I think had I not gone on that trip, I still would have been stumbling over myself a little bit spiritually. And I don't think I would have been ready to take that next step. Um, so I think that's one of those profound trips. And you know, there's crazy trips, you know, obviously when you, when you're on vacation, you know, you, you meet people and you know, you have your, your, uh, the, your, your uh, vacation hookups and whatever, that sort of stuff. And, you meet dope friends and stuff like that, and you see dope things. And but I think that experience is what one of the most important ones for me. You have any pet peeves in your in your field? I have a lot of pet peeves, man. I'm, I feel like you know, my wife really? says all the time, I'm like I'm like the I'm gonna grow up and be the grumpy old man who's like get off my fucking lawn, kids. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really bothered by people who say they're travel photographers, and like every picture is them like eating an ice cream cone. You know, or, what? you know, them like taking some like cheesy picture, you know, some selfie portrait. It's like, yeah, you're not a child photographer. Uh, that's what you mean. Like that stuff really bothers me, though. The Instagram, Instagram really bothers me and how it's sort of detracted from the beauty of travel and made it this sort of like self-celebratory, you know, event where everyone, everyone's going places and traveling and all they're doing is posting pictures of themselves. You know, and not really showing themselves interacting with the culture or, you know, getting out and meeting people or talking to people or ex- experiencing experiencing that country in like a, a a way that's really worthwhile and mind blowing. It's more so I want to I want to go here because I want to take a cool picture and stunt. And that, that bothers me a bit. I mean, I think travel is a privilege, man. And I think that those of us who can travel and are able to travel you know, you should be really grateful of that experience. And we should also put forth the effort to really take in what it is that we're seeing, what it is that we're tasting, that we're smelling, 
um, that we're hearing to like really digest and and become intimate with those those uh, those uh, sensory acts. Um, and I think that if we spent all of our time like taking selfies and you know on social media while we're traveling, that that we're not investing the energy that we could be into really growing and coming away from that trip slightly evolved as a human being. Yeah. And next, I mean, and again, I could just be preaching from the fucking, you know, preaching from, from the pulpits and I don't, I certainly don't want to do that, but you know, that's one of my pet peeves is people who broadcast their travels and make those travels all about them and how cool they are because they went here and you, you weren't able to. Okay. That's a pretty shitty thing. All right. Um, so a lot of times we talk about successes and good times and we curate. Yeah. So what about, did you have any type of kind of heartbreaking failures or setbacks and that made you recon that made you second guess continuing photography? Yeah, man. I, th I think I was a couple of things have happened and really in the last year or two, you know, I was in Budapest at the heart of the Syrian refugee crisis, and I took some pictures there that I, I think are just really, really extraordinary pictures in the sense that they are, they really show these refugees as, as people, um, and it shows their vulnerability. Um, and, you know, the pictures were, were beautiful enough to be picked up by CNN. And I did a segment on CNN for about four minutes talking about the images and, you know, how I was able to take them and, you know, what they mean to me and what this refugee crisis should mean to everyone. Um, and then I submitted that work to Annenberg for their refugee crisis um, event that they had. And again, I, I think, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not Steve McCurry. I certainly, you know would like to become as good as him one day or, you know, if not better than him or, you know, Paul Nicklin or Sebastian Salgado, some of these guys. Um, but I felt like those were really, really strong images. And I felt like the images that they selected to be in the show, some of them were not even remotely, remotely close to being as good as the images I had taken. Um, and so when I was rejected, mm. that really, really bothered me mm. a lot. Um, but I listened to a lot of Kanye West, as you can hear. So it didn't hold me down for too long because I still think my stuff was really solid. I think I had a great story to tell. Um, but, you know, for there was definitely about a month where I was kind of like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Mm. Um, and I think that happened. That That's happened again recently. I think Vice passed me up for a job um, like two weeks ago. And, I, you know, that, that came down to more of a, a political thing. The creative, the creative director for that project wanted to use another photographer, whereas the rest of the staff was like really adamant that they used me, but because they didn't have the final say, I didn't get picked. Whatever. I mean, that should, that's where it should happen. But again, it's being rejected. And, yeah. You know, no one likes to be rejected. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. Or, you know. Right, right. So yeah, those are, I, would, I wouldn't call them failures, but there's there's certainly moments in my career where I'm like, like oh, it was like disappointment. That kind of hurts a bit. Kind of jabs, yeah, kind of little, little gut punch, little gut punch, right quick. Certainly. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I think it's always interesting when you talk about applying for gigs and certain opportunities because um, 
You know what? It was actually this is I think this is a good example. It was uh, a programmer for this um, really prominent film festival, and my homeboy he uh, submitted, and then he actually later on met the the head of programming mm-hmm. for that film festival, and she and she, and uh, he showed her film to her, and she was like, "Oh wow, this is amazing." You should submit it to this film festival. He was like, "Yeah, I did, and I didn't get in." <laughs> yeah. So I was like, "Wow, that's uh, like funny that." That's how I mean. That's how it is. You know, a, so, a lot of a lot of this shit is political. Like, you know, who's up? Look at Instagram again. Like, who are the people with like you know a hundred thousand followers or forty thousand followers who are photographers? They're not necessarily good photographers. They just been able to cheat the system, or they know someone on Instagram who made them a featured, you know, or featured artist or featured photographer a while ago and stuff like that. And so they they have this built-in base. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily a good photographer. Whereas there's people like myself, or again, my friend Haga, who's a really hardworking guy, shoots a lot of stuff, does some really really beautiful work. He has like five thousand followers, you know, because. Maybe he's not playing the game or because there's not someone who's going to, you know, help push his content because they're a friend of his like Instagram, that sort of stuff. Yeah, but that's another reason why I wanted to do this podcast is because it's not to say that it's because you have X amount of followers that yeah, your I mean, work is not as it, good. It makes, yeah. it, makes, it makes zero difference. And there are photographers I know who, who have a lot of followers who are really, really good at what they do. And the photographers who are very, very good and don't even put their shit on Instagram like that. Instagram like Not that. like that. Yeah, I don't think Sebastian Salgado has an Instagram. I, I mean, I can't say that for certain, but I'm pretty sure he, he doesn't have an Instagram. Okay. Um. Yeah, so I mean, again, I don't... Okay, that's understood. Do you have a, uh, like an artist philosophy or mission statement? It's, it's weird, dude, because I, I kind of go through this thing where I don't really see myself as an artist. But then, like, as my wife will attest to, when I'm going into doing, like, a show and putting a show together, I'm fucking as much of an artist as anybody. I'm the fucking biggest Devo, diva ever. Like, everything has to be, like, a specific way. The light has to be, like, a certain color temperature has to be pointed this way. You know, the temperature in the room has to be this way. The candles have to be this color. It needs to be this music on. Like, I'm, I can be very much that way. But on a day-to-day basis, I don't really view myself as an artist. Okay. Um, although I know I am, I try, I try not to view myself that way. Got it. All right, I'm so... Documentary for, of life. So for this uh, portion of the show, I do a name that tune. Okay. So I just play a track and see if you could guess who it is. And okay. then we go more into like music that you listen to movies and then we yeah, wrap yeah, up the yeah. interview sure man so, I'm having fun alright I'm glad I can talk all night <laughs> especially with a few beers I can definitely talk about that alright this is this is when my black cars will be revoked I think nah yeah definitely good though It sounds like someone would have listened to it how when I heard some band that listened to it how. But, but. <laughs> yeah, because I know you went I mean, to Howard. I went to Howard and Ron was here with me right now. He would have, I have no idea. For real? Chuck Berry? 
know what I'm going to do. No, no. You were close. Chuck. Chuck B. Chuck Brown. Chuck Brown, that's it. Chuck, Chuck Brown. Brown. Chuck Brown. <laughs> I knew it was some Chuck guy from that area. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of this. I'm sorry, Howard, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of those songs where I heard for the first time in New York, um, I had this house party, and it was just like open DJ. Only get once on? Only... Yeah, it's only one. Oh, man, yeah, I really one. failed. I'm sorry. Nah, it's all good. It's, it's interesting because... I'm, I'm still trying to fine tune this segment because yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily want to stump people. Yeah. But then sometimes they get stumped, and sometimes other people get it. Like, oh, it's so easy, and other people are like, oh, that was too. So I was just like, I don't know. It's just a that was that was that was a pretty abstract choice there, man. It, I was like, I thought I was gonna get the Howard. The I Howard knew it was a Chuck something. Yeah. Well, yeah, Chuck Brown probably wouldn't have come for another hour or two. So. <laughs> but you said Chuck, and I was like, oh, he's gonna say it. But I don't know. That's that. <laughs> Whatever. Sorry, listeners, I apologize. Whatever. So, what is some of the music that you've been listening to right now? What's currently in your rotation? Oh, all right, man. Well, I listen to like I listen to a lot of a band called Alt J. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're a British band. They sing. They seem music that's very visual. The lyrics are like very, very visual. As a photographer, uh, I can appreciate that. And they they sing a lot. They reference films. They reference pop culture and stuff in their in their music. And it's um it's really layered music lyrically. So I really in, enjoy it for that reason. And I found that a lot of my best travel photography has come while listening to them. Because hmm. usually I'm, when I'm traveling and doing photography, I'm on my own. I just have the headphones on. I'm kind of off, off, off on my own for like, you know, a week, kind of doing my own thing. And so I've sort of like befriended a lot of these artists in a way, mentally. We're like, okay, I'm, this is who I'm hanging out with today. I'm going to be in this in this mood, this zone. This is what we're going to do today. Um, and so Alt J has been really good about stimulating me creatively when I'm out shooting. Um, and they have a song about a photographer named Robert Kappa, who was a Hungarian photographer who died um, covering the, um, the Indochina War. And to me, it's fascinating. They can make such a dope ass song. A dope, it's like, it's a, a really fucking dope, beautiful song about a photographer, a wartime photographer who died covering the war in Asia. Mm-hmm. That's such a fucking weird subject matter. Right. And for these dudes to come out and make this song that I think is like one of the dopest songs I've heard in the past 10 years um, is, you know, it speaks to me as a photographer. I'm going to have to check out Art J. I mean, I heard the name, but I haven't listened to their music. Yes, it's it's pretty good, man. Yeah. So I really appreciate their music. Um, I've, since I've been, since I was at Howard, I've been a huge John Mayer fan. Um, Yo, you know what I almost played? I almost played City Love. Oh, I would have got that right away. Dang, I should have played that instead. Yeah, I would have got that right away, man. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what? I think next time I'm going to play three songs for sure. whoever I interview. Yeah, yeah, three songs. I think three songs is good. One I, song is kind of hard. Because it's like, like three strikes, sort of. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. one is like, oh, swing and a miss. You know, no. I think that's that's the thing. I should play three songs. Well, I hope I get to come back on in like ten years and redo it, and I can I get three songs at that point. Man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'll be I'll be on want to be on your shit by then. Yeah, I'm like, hey, can you take a? Can I be your assistant? Oh man, no. if that day ever comes, man, you'll be the first person I call. Man, I appreciate it. Um, I've been a huge John Mayer fan since I was in in college, and he, you know, he definitely had a rough patch for black folks. Um, I, I, I think I moved past that. I think he just moved past it. I think all the people in his band who were all black have to move past it as well. Um, but I can, as a man, as a single man, a millennial. And a, a dude who grew up spending a lot of times in cities that he spent a lot of time in as well. There's this sort of, you know, just identification with his lyrics and what he's talking about and his experiences that he's going through. Were, um, were you really were you appreciate. offended by him? Um, I wasn't. I, I thought it was a stupid thing to say. I wasn't offended. I thought it was it was it was a dumb thing to say. Yeah. But because I I, I know him uh, not personally, but I know him musically. And through interviews, and I know the circles that he runs and the people that he that he's friends with. I knew he, I know he didn't mean it in a he didn't mean it in that way, but it certainly read that way. And uh-huh. I certainly wouldn't argue with anyone who was offended and you know found it to be a completely inappropriate and rude because it, it, it was. But that, I mean, that was like five, six years ago, a long time. Yeah, ago. it was a minute ago. Um, and I, I think he's I think he's growing up a business. Yeah, I hope. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I love I love John Mayer. I love uh, Jack Johnson. I love Matt Costa, who's you know an artist who just from going to his shows a lot of times I've actually befriended now, and he he played my wedding. Oh, dope. Um, uh, as far as like, I love Sting. Again, like I'm I'm really into like lyrics and and uh, and melodies and you know things that reference things outside of just day-to-day life and seeing references a lot of like uh, ancient Greek and Roman culture and stuff like that in his lyrics sometimes and I, I find that to be really cool because I don't know what the fuck he's talking about so I have to look it up if I look it up I'll learn something new and okay so, yeah I have an appreciation for that as far as rap goes Jay-Z would like when I was younger it was always Tupac Tupac was my dude as I've gotten older like Jay-Z for me is fucking pinnacle I love Jay um, and I know like every song every album word for word huge Jay-Z fan um, I love Kanye um, because he inspires me to just want to do great shit, you know, and do dope shit. Um, you know, he fucking he's crazy, bad shit crazy, but <laughs> he's also a creative genius. He's also very inspirational, dude. Like, I don't know how you can't listen to Kanye or read an interview or article and be like, you know, I feel inspired to go do some shit. Yeah, because Kanye, I was listening to the graduation album. And, and and listening to that album, it's like very motivational, yeah. Yeah. Like champion and just even like good That's morning. It's just like album. the only song I feel like that was like the perfect album, except for Drunken White Girls was on that album. Yeah. And I feel like if it's that kind of out, kind of if, he, if he took that out, I was like, man, that was that it was just like so well packaged yeah. and structured and it was just yeah, like a very album. very very good album Kanye was I mean even The Life of Pablo was, was a great album in my opinion I mean I really I really like Kanye musically I don't always agree with the things that he does you know professionally or personally but I think as a musician and someone 
creates music, produces music, he does a, a really a really great job. Yeah, because um, I always feel like with artists, this quote comes to mind from Miles Davis. He was like, "I love Miles Davis too, by the way." He was like, uh, "Yeah, you're not gonna." I'm paraphrasing. Him. He said something like, "You're not gonna understand everything I do. If you did, you would be me." Yeah, and I was like, "Damn, that's that's that's, that's, that's pretty uh, pretty profound that's there, true. Miles." What I like about music, man, is that it's extremely transportational, right? Yeah. So I can listen to, you know, Kind of Blue and instantly I'm transported back to Tangier mm. and I'm at this coffee shop um, where, you know, all these writers used to go back in the day. And it's like the Blue City, that part? No, that's that's just Shaolin. Okay. And Tangier is like, a, it's like a, a, a harbor town. It's like on the water. Got it. Um it's in Morocco, and I just remember being it, being in this town and having coffee and sitting in this cafe that all these great writers um, would go to and write and work in, and sitting there and having coffee and listening to that that album um, on my uh, on my iPhone, just being like, "This is fucking like life. This is like yeah, just fucking life. It's all, <laughs> this is it right here." Like that experience for me, even now if I turn it on, it's I'm I'm back I'm back at that coffee shop, you know, seeing those things, smelling that coffee, hearing the sounds, it's really transportational. And there, I mean, there's so many songs by so many artists that also have that same effect. So what's the um the last movie you saw in the theater? What call? I don't know. What's this movie you saw in the theater? Split. Split. Oh, you saw Split. Yeah. Okay. Can you share a memorable article, book, or YouTube clip that you discovered recently that you would like to share? I mean, I'm reading a book right now called If the Buddha Married, hmm. um, which is really insightful into uh, dealings with you know people on a daily basis, um, as well as, I mean, your wife, because it's about the Buddha being married, um, and sort of just how to approach situations how to divorce yourself from the baggage that you carry around in your day-to-day interactions um, and to approach everyone with like a fresh mind. Um, so if they say things that, you know, you don't like, um, it's not because it, it harkens back to some past experience. Um, and so, I mean, that I find that book to be, to be really beneficial in my day-to-day right now. So I think that book is one I would recommend to people. Um, okay. Yeah. If the Buddha married, so what's a little known fact about you that people would be surprised to know? I'm not a very social person. Whatever, man. No, I'm not. Like, I, I really like to be alone and be by myself and have downtime. Um, I don't. I think that's one of those things. Really? Yeah. That's what you think? Yeah. I'm. I'm very. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's fine. I don't want to quote Donald Trump because he's just a fucking terrible human being. But he, he I remember reading something that he said where he, every person is born with a finite amount of energy. And so you have to be careful with how much of it you, you use on a daily basis. Um, and I, I do subscribe to that same sort of mentality where I feel like I only have so much energy to give. And so I don't like to just give it out all the time. So I'm very careful and cautious about how much energy I put out into the world and when I put that energy out. And so I spend a lot of time recharging. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self? What, I give, what advice would I give my 18-year-old self? The advice I would give my 18-year-old self is to saving money is important and paying your bills on time is important. 
having good credit is important. <laughs> That's what I would tell my 18 year old self. It's okay to say, no, I can't go out this time or no, I can't afford to do that. It's okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely what I would. That's some good advice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I feel like growing up, I kind of knew that, but I didn't understand the repercussions of it mm-hmm. and the limitations that not having your finances together would cause. You know what I'm saying? I feel like people were like, oh, make sure you say. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll make more money, da 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 da. But yeah, it's very important. Yeah. Those t shirts were yeah. not worth it in college yeah. to get free t shirt no. to sign up and fuck up your credit. No. <laughs> not worth it. Not worth the t shirt, man. It, man. At all. all right. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's very important. Especially as you get older, man, you want to have good credit and be able to, to do things in life. And, you know, it helps so much. High interest rates. I wanted to you to give us a little overview of. Your wife, man. Meeting her and the... How yeah, did, so how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, I've, uh, I was going to Europe and sort of, you know, it was just a, a single guy going to Europe and got on Tinder and was like, okay, before I get out there, I'm going to start looking for girls in these cities I'm going to and setting up dates because I, I do believe to get a truly authentic experience, it's always best to sort of travel with a local or to meet a local in a place because you're going you're gonna to find out and learn about things you wouldn't find out or learn about otherwise. And so I set up maybe, I don't know, three or four dates in Copenhagen and then had dates in London, dates in Stockholm. Um, and my wife was my first date in Denmark. Oh, okay. So I land in Denmark, go to the hotel, check in. I meet her and we just, you know, hit it off. And I cancel all my other dates and we got married about a year later. And we're going on our one year anniversary now. So, oh, it's, it's been a year already. Yeah. Wow, congrats. Thanks, man. Congrats, sir. Thanks. Uh, do you have a quote that you love or live by? Um, Asa La Victoria Siempre is like the, uh, the way Che Guevara signed off when he left Cuba for the last time to go to uh, Africa and to go to Bolivia. Before he died, he signed a letter to, to Fidel Castro and to the Cuban people, you know, telling them always towards the victory. And so that's one of mine, it's always towards the victory. And then uh, Vide Cormium is also another one, which is uh, love your fate. What societal norm do you think is stupid, weird, or wish wasn't the norm? I think this whole nipple uh, what? Nipple censorship. What? <laughs> nipple censorship. Like women can't have their nipples out and stuff on social media and stuff like this. Oh. Like that stuff being banned. I think it's fucking ridiculous. I think it's the stupidest shit ever. <laughs> <laughs> nipple censorship. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think it's just dumb. Yeah, man. Free the nipple. Free the nipple. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I honestly believe that. It's, I've had so many pictures of mine taken down on Instagram or banned and stuff because it's like, side of some girl's nipple or something is something stupid so i think that's something we need to get over okay now feature announcement what are some things that you're working on that we should keep an eye out for well i'm i'm heading to to ethiopia in a few days to head down to the omo valley to do some photography. I'm certainly not the first person that goes to the Omo Valley to do photography. There are a lot of uh, tribes there. Some of the, the, the last few, I guess what you would call like, when you think of a, a traditional African tribe or you know, a, a indigenous tribe, these are some of the last people who were still sort of living that lifestyle. 
Um, but there's been a bit of exploitation um, from people on, you know, people belonging to the West um, and from, you know, t- tour tour guides and stuff like that. I'm I'm, just, I'm really curious to see how life for these tribes uh, has changed over the past decade or so um, with this uh, commercialization of their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going down there to spend a, a week photographing um, some of the tribes and speaking to some of the people there. And then also going to uh, Omo Child, because down in that region, some of the tribes uh, practice something called Mingi, Mingi, which is basically if a child is born with like three different sort of defects, um, they kill the child. And these aren't like, you know, these are defects that are like their their first two comes out of the upper part of their mouth, not the bottom, not the lower part of their mouth, or they were born out of wedlock, stuff like this. Um, mm-hmm. They just kill the child. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going down to visit an orphanage where this guy, this, this young African man who belonged to one of the tribes, rescues these children. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, man. I'm uh, definitely looking forward to seeing these photos and hearing about this experience. When you, uh, yeah, man, that should be good. That should be, that should be an interesting time. And, uh, I may not come back. I might do a Dave Chappelle and just disappear for a year or whatever. Oh, I'm just I'm gonna do a talent to Mr. Ripley and uh, <laughs> take over, man. <laughs> yeah, on in here. <laughs> no, that's Emil. No, my name is Eric. <laughs> Emil, but like Emil went to Ethiopia. Sure, man. You had his house. <laughs> All right, so to uh, wrap this up, I like to do the uh, inside the active studio questions, and that'll be it. All right. So it's ten questions. First question is. What is your favorite word? Epiphany. What is your least favorite word? Can't. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Freedom. What turns you off? Restraint. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. What sound or noise do you love? Birds. What sound or noise do you hate? Birds. (laughs) (laughs) Birds. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not birds. Uh, horns. People honking their horns. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? A political one. Politician. What profession would you definitely not like to do? A sewage. Sewage cleaning. Okay. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? What the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong stop, buddy. Mm. Um, oh, you did okay. Okay, yeah, you did okay. All right, so that's it. That is super dope, Eric Berry. So make sure y'all log on to EricBerry.photography. Yep, and. Yeah, check out the work. I'll put the uh, information will be in the uh, the show notes or the descriptions or whatever like that. So y'all check that out and follow him and all the dope shit that he's doing and his travels and everything. Yeah, go to superdopeshit.com, subscribe on iTunes. Now in this podcast, I could do them all with the my favorite quote. Only put off until tomorrow what you're willing to die having left undone. 
That's from Pablo Picasso. And we in here and we out here. Peace. I never like this apple much. It always seems to be too touch. I can't. Re-